This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 126 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It is once again coaching carousel season as Georgia State will now have to replace men's basketball coach Rob Lanier after he left for the opening at SMU. We'll discuss all angles of his departure, our reactions to the news as it broke, a look back at the Coach Lanier era, and our ideas of what is coming next for the Panthers. We'll also recap the week in baseball and take one last look at football ahead of the spring game on Friday. But first, basketball. Rob Lanier, of course, takes the job at SMU after three years in charge of Georgia State. The news first being reported by John Rothstein of CBS Sports late on Friday and then confirmed officially by the school on Sunday. Lanier leaves after compiling a 53-30 record at the school over his three seasons, culminating in a Sunbelt Tournament championship and automatic berth in the 2022 NCAA Tournament. And the search is now on for his replacement. So, uh, gentlemen, thoughts on this? Yeah, if we cast our minds back to that Friday where the news broke, I mean, I will be honest, I did not see the news drop live. Like, I saw it in my feed on Twitter an hour after the fact and was like, how did I miss this? Like, this is a fairly consequential thing. And that was the point where it was John Rothstein saying, it's really close, it's going to happen, but it isn't yet. And so it wasn't like I missed the official announcement from the school or anything, but like, that is how under the radar this happened. And if you listen to how it played out, it really did play out really fast last week. You know, from what they said at their opening press conference, introducing Coach Denier, believe they talked for the first time on Tuesday or they know they he came up on the radar on Tuesday. They had him in on Wednesday and then that was it. You know, from there it progressed pretty quickly. But I will be honest and say that I'm not at the moment. I was never going to be shocked if he left just because, you know, it, it felt like a different situation than maybe Coach Hunter. Uh, but I was shocked in the moment because I thought that the opportunities that were there that he was going to maybe leave for it kind of passed. You know, there was a connection with some ten- a Tennessee guy who was the AD at ECU and his kids go to school in North Carolina. And so when that opening came up, I don't think it's that much of a better job than Georgia State other than the pay. Whereas I think SMU's decent job, really nice metropolitan area to recruit to. Um, so when that one at ECU went to someone else, another Tennessee guy, ironically enough, uh, I was not sure that there was an opening that made sense. But then this one opened up, he filled it and. You know, here we are. Yeah, you know, you say you didn't see the news live. I was in the middle of a ghost cemeteries tour in Boston. <laughs> when you like mentioned it, I was just like absolutely beside myself because, you know, I didn't think that anything in the Georgia State realm was possible. Um, so shocked is easily a word that I can say for my initial reaction. Um but I'm also not shocked just, you know, having given the conversations that we've had with Coach Lanier and, you know, given the good job that I think he did at Georgia State, you know, we, we've kind of talked about it all throughout his tenure with while he was here at Georgia State. You know, he had a head coaching position before and, you know, it didn't necessarily work out. And, oh, 
about a decade and it was just studying, studying, learning. And, you know, somebody finally gave him another shot. And, you know, we'll get into his tenure as the Georgia State head coach, I'm sure. But, you know, like I said, I think it was an incredibly successful three years. And, you know, even though one of them didn't really result in a tournament win, but, you know, I still think. He he was a good coach for Georgia State. He was the exact coach that Georgia State needed at the moment that they needed him. Yeah, and sort of, I think the thing that would have been surprising for me just in general was I thought it was maybe a year earlier than I was expecting. You know, after they made the tournament this year, I was like in my head, okay, momentum building. There's going to be some rebuilding to do, but if he can get guys in in the transfer portal and get the team back to the level was playing out at the end of the year and another year, another tournament berth, maybe a tournament win. That was going to be what he needed. But I also realized that I was thinking kind of in the same terms of like what Ron Hunter had to prove to prospective athletic directors who wanted to hire him because, you know, coach Hunter came from IUPUI in Georgia state and <clears throat> not really traditional programs where, you know, he had to kind of build it all up, but it wasn't going to be that impressive resume line that this is the guy he's coached with and this is the league he's coached in. And so there was a hurdle to clear in that respect for Coach Hunter. With Coach Amir, I think what played out is that they really needed to see that he could not coach as badly as he did when he was the guy at Siena. And, you know, as we've learned throughout this time, he himself is the first one to say how unprepared he was for that job when he got it and that he took that lesson, learned from it, was the assistant for Billy Donovan, Dave Lateo, uh, Rick Barnes for the time since that job, and he was more ready for this opportunity. And I think three years was enough. Two years in the Sun Belt title game, one of them winning it. Like I think that we probably look more generally at the tenure he had differently. If there's also an NCAA tournament appearance last year, uh, but obviously lost in the title game, and so this year felt like there was more urgency. But ultimately, after a long season, they met that. But uh, and then you add in the other part of it is that the father of the athletic director at SMU was the athletic director who hired Rick Barnes at Tennessee. So not to say that it isn't something that he warranted with showing that he could coach at this level, but there are still hashtag, hashtag relationships going on with this hire at SMU for sure. I think you're underselling his job done at Georgia State the last two years, if I may. Um, you know, we saw both of those teams starkly below expectations in both of those Decembers. And, you know, yes, COVID plays a part of that. Absolutely. But I really think we should give Rob a little bit more credit because, you know, you're looking at a team in 2020 who ended the year 16 and six, eight and four in Sunbelt play, won the East. They had divisions. Um, and then this year they finished 18 and 11, nine and five in the Sunbelt. But, you know, they started 0 and 4. They absolutely turned their season around. And I mean, yes, it takes the players buying in. And yes, it takes the athletes on the court actually executing. But, you know, you have to give some credit to the head coach and the staff that he puts together, you know, and how you are able to navigate turnarounds like that. You know, we're not just talking about a guy with a simple tenure, which, oh, okay, you know, he made the conference championship game in two straight years and he won it in the second year. Like, yes, that's, you know, obviously that's great. But given where those teams were and the expectations, I mean, I feel like you should give him a little bit more credit for the turnarounds that he helped usher with this program. 
Well, and I think it starts with, as we kind of make a general look at his time here at Georgia State, I always thought that the idea that winning with Ron Hunter's players, you know, air quotes, was a little bit harder than just, you know, yes, there was a lot of success before, but you look at it and he had to basically replace the scheme on both sides of the ball, particularly the defensive side of the ball. It was completely different. He had to recruit basically the entire front court wall. He was where all the buildings were, you know, like in his first recruiting class, he had to get some forwards just for the sake that there weren't guys with much size. And they had lost some guys from the previous team that the first season was maybe the most disappointing in that it was the only season where rather than peaking at the right time happened, the team kind of hit a lull at the end of the year. And it ended with those two losses, Georgia Southern that don't sit well, even though. I think they've worked it out with the way that they swept them this year uh, and beat them last year. But the last two years, like you say, I mean, they started playing well down the stretch. COVID played a factor and that whole deal, you know, it's, it's hard to really say anything, but like it was a really trying time for everyone. And it maybe affected Georgia state more than other teams, but it really, it was going to be hard for anyone to manage. There was no right or wrong way, I would say. And um, at the end of the day, they got to the point where they were playing good basketball through it both times. They came out of really when they were playing pauses well. And, and to that point, in the last two years, I've been compiling these numbers the last couple of weeks of the season. And now I guess these are the final numbers, so to say. But the last two years, in the stretches where the team had not had pauses going on. They were just playing games. They had everyone available. They went 30 and eight. In the times where they had pauses and stuff was interrupted, they were missing players, practice wasn't happening. They were four and nine. And that four and nine ended up dictating the difference between, I mean, last year they finished 16 and six, but maybe that record could have been better. More wins. You could have gotten to that 20, 20 win mark with some more games being played. 18 and 11, certainly. You can improve upon that record and it would be the difference between 18 and 11 and something like 21 and eight something. And if either of those happen, that's probably a seed line better making the tournament this year. If at least that maybe up to a 14 line and last year, you know, all of this is just to say, I, I think that everything expectation wise, program wise is in at least the same place as it was when coach Linear got here. And so in that respect, that's a win because that's not a given because, you know, when Lefty Drell retired, Michael Perry took over, he took over a good team. They went 20 and nine his first year. And then just four years later in 2007, the team was 11 and 20 and all the momentum from the only real success Georgia State had seen as a basketball program at that time, short of one tourney run in the early nineties was kind of erased and Coach Hunter had to get it. He took the job in 2011. So I think that you got the NCAA tourney appearance this year. You're keeping that momentum going. And like I said, you're still at least in the same place as where you were when you got the job. And that's really all you can ask for. And now you look forward. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to bring it back to the uh, Coach uh, Lanier's record for a second because I want to be clear on something. Coach Hunter, when he was here had he was here for eight years he had only two seasons where he had fewer the georgia state won fewer than 20 wins they had fewer than 20 wins 
in Coach Lanier's three years, Georgia State never had 20 or more wins. But as you pointed out with the record, when there were no pauses and there was no COVID and everybody was healthy, like this easily was the same caliber of teams that those Coach Hunter teams had. And I think that's so important. And I... I don't know who's going to be the next coach. You know, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have an ear to athletic director, Charlie Cobb. I don't know what he's going to do. Um, I don't even think we have a list of candidates uh, officially. Um, I've got, well, I mean, you're not going to get a list, but I've, I've got some names that I've, you know, yeah, not coming from a place of like having the ear of Charlie Cobb, but correct. But a variety of names, so to say for where we are right now, I think it is okay to say that the next hire should be expected to keep that same level of Georgia State excellence, if you will, because that's exactly what Coach Lanier did. You know, the records might not be as nice as the Coach Hunter records, but it was still the exact same path. And that, you know, that's key. That's important. Like, this is still a program that has that minimum bar for success. And I don't see anything changing that. And I mean, I'll just go further. And I mean, you said this basically, but more verbatim, more literally, I'll just say without some of the games that got canceled, this team and last year's team would have gotten to 20 wins. So I feel like if that's held up as some kind of arbitrary bar, I think that with a full schedule without all the games that got canceled the last two years, that happens. And so I think of the last two years as 21 teams, even though they weren't. Obviously, the first year team played a full schedule, didn't get to 20. Like that's, you know, fair enough. That one. They did not get to that mark, although they only went off. So it wasn't like way out of expectation. But, you know, just speaking on the man, Coach Lanier as well, you know, firstly, he was always open, accessible whenever he wanted any uh, media access. He always gave great quotes. Uh, and I think just on a replacing what Coach Hunter was, I think it ended up being the right guy for the job at the time because... I feel like someone else coming in trying to take the room over like Coach Hunter could do and trying to be that type of boisterous person. I, I think at that moment, it might have been an awkward fit. And I think no matter what, no matter how boisterous the person was, I think people around the fan base would have still been missing Coach Hunter. And so I think having someone who came in with a pretty different perspective and just a different way of going about business ended up being the right person at the right time. And so... I don't think you have to keep, you know, hire. I'm sure uh, getting someone else out there that's going to be the type of promoter that Coach Hunter was, I think that's a plus. But I think in the moment, it worked that, you know, Coach Lanier was not the same type of promoter as Coach Hunter. And, you know, neither way is bad. It just, it was different. And I don't think it was a bad thing that it was a different thing because I, I think. The worst thing could happen to someone coming in and trying to just do what Coach Hunter was doing because he's he's an irreplaceable personality in how he is. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, and it. I feel like people wanted Coach Lanier too, and that's kind of where people have been feeling a little frustrated with him over the three years. You know, I think if you look at him as a completely different person and, you know, look at where his strengths are, just in terms of that openness that you mentioned, just in terms of, you know, his honesty in dissecting issues as they happen. And, you know, I don't say this as a knock on Coach Hunter by any stretch. I mean, I can 
be candid here. We did not have the same access to Coach Hunter as we do, you know, to Coach Lanier um, or did, excuse me. Um, but at the same time, though, I did always appreciate the way that Coach Lanier was after interviews or, you know, when we got a chance to sit down with him. And I did always appreciate just, you know, where his thought process was immediately after a game. Um, very even keeled. And, you know, that to me was very important. And that juxtaposition between him and Coach Hunter, I think, was exactly what was needed back in 2019 when all of that stuff went down after the tournament. Yeah, and now the other side of it is that the arena is coming next year. It's finally here. Upgrade on the sports arena, much though we do love that old building. And the roster, while there's guys that you need to replace, and you know you can't wait around forever with a hire. Like obviously, I think we're expecting a hire pretty soon, and needs to go pretty soon, so you can get out there and recruit. I mean, there's a dead period coming up, and so that's gonna be something to work through for the new head coach when they're out and able to recruit again. But the roster with the parts that are currently still on the roster is more suitable, less of a rehaul than was needed when Coach Lanier got here. It's a more traditional college basketball roster with some size, guys that are recruited to play a man-to-man defense, which presumably is going to... I would expect no matter who the hire is, the chances of it being someone who plays 40 minutes of the zone like Coach Hunter is pretty small. And so, you know, I think it's at least in the same place as where it was when Coach Nier got here, but you could maybe argue because of the arena, because you're finally in the Convocation Center, and because the roster is in a, you know, they were still replacing guys in 2019. Like it was some seniors and guys like Demarcus Simons who were leaving the program early that you either both years are going to require the new coach to come in and get new bodies and particularly new impact players. But as far as the rest of the roster, like it's going to be guys that they can work with and it's not going to be, I've got to recruit two forwards that freshmen that are going to play significant minutes. You know, you've got guys still coming back that can offer you that whoever, whatever you're looking for. I think that there's the pieces there for the new head coach. There is. Um, I will say that this roster has a lot of decisions to make. Um, and it's funny because uh, I after our conversation last week about, you know, the tournament, Georgia State being out of the tournament, um, I expected this week we were just going to kind of look forward and just kind of go over some guys uh, whose positions are whatever for next year but i think you know that is even more up in the air right now simply because you know there isn't a coach and you know we don't know if guys want to stay with the new coach um they may they may not i I don't think it's far-fetched to say that a new coach will come in and you know some guys will leave but i you know i don't know i'm not in the ear of some of these players or any of these players for that matter but you know i think it just depends on who the guy is that they hire it didn't happen last time. And that's true, when too. Coach you Hunter know? came in. Guys didn't leave immediately when Coach Hunter left, and he had them buy in. There weren't any major departures. And uh, you know, obviously, last week we talked about probably Nelson Phillips is entering the portal, and that happened. But that's not related to the coaching change. That was going to happen anyway. And uh, so it's still kind of no one is left, quote unquote, because of the coaching change. And it, we'll see how it plays out. And I think. 
it maybe helps that you have guys like Kane Williams who stayed here through the coaching change, having played for Coach Hunter, liking his old coach and saying, I'm going to give this guy a chance. And it worked out and he ended up getting the team back to the NCAA tournament in his senior year. And, you know, same category as Corey Allen and Justin Roberts, who sat out the year Coach Hunter's last year. And so it was also a change for them and they had to buy in as well. And so I'm not saying that like there's explicitly like conversations with them being like, we stayed and it worked out, but the guys who have seen where they are as the leaders of the team and knowing that they stayed through a transition, I feel like that example maybe helps. And it's also just, there's so many guys in the portal. Like it is the wild West out there. There's so many guys in the portal that there's not going to be spots on D1 teams for everyone who's out there. And, you know, speaking to just that in general, I mean, not to get too sidetracked, but I feel like we should talk about it now that we kind of have talked about transfers and stuff and that after announcing a couple weeks ago that he, he was in for the long haul at Arkansas State, a Sunbelt Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Norchad O'Meara, is now going to test the waters in the transfer portal. And that makes now with Caleb Asbury at Texas State, Adrian Delph at App State, and David Azor, who's eligibility up at UTA and also UTA is no longer in the Sunbelt. Uh, that is four of the five all Sunbelt first team members gone from the conference, not on the teams anymore, uh, with a hat tip to Ben Moore, friend of the pod, for he put that number out there earlier in the day. And I mean, I, I mentioned all those guys, but obviously the big one there is Omir. I mean, that is just a seismic deal for the Sunbelt, but also especially for I mean, Arkansas State. That is just such a blow. It is a blow. I think you could make the argument that Arkansas State was going to be maybe not favored next year um, in terms of where the the preseason coaches poll. But I think as of right now, you could have made the case that Arkansas State was probably going to be higher than Georgia State in that poll. And I don't really know that you can make that case anymore. Uh, not even I don't really know like that. I'm not saying Ormir was their entire team, but he was such a significant portion of that team that it's like, where is that production going to come from now? And you throw in also two other starters also enter the portal, which the timing of this is all very sudden that you're having a bunch of guys enter the portal. So I'm sure whatever's going to come out from that. um, It just is weird that suddenly now you've got really key members of the team. But like, like you say, if Omir had stayed, but they lost the other guys, I think you could have talked to them as a top Sunbelt team just because of how good he has been. And that, you know, he added a jumper this year he didn't have last year. And so what, what's he going to add next year? And we'll find that out as he's probably going to be on a power conference team. Or I, I think Gonzaga was interested in him last year. And I mean, don't let him, them get him in the third. You're like, talk about a guy who's perfect to replace Drew Timmy. I mean, not that I'm recruiting for Gonzaga or anything, but like that would be just a crazy, crazy fit in my opinion. But yeah, it's a loss and I, I, it's a loss for the Sun Belt in general also because like teams need to start hitting that next year. Like I think that there's a solid group of teams and this year until Arkansas state lost Omir and now there's a lot of doubt into what they're going to be. You could talk yourself into a few of the teams at the top or even in the middle of the conference, making improvements or staying where they're at. And that's one that now you're losing in that regard that maybe a little bit more questions. And you really, instead of having more teams in the middle, you need to start seeing more teams meet at the top. And 
put together really impressive winning seasons to where the championship games got two teams that are going to be 14 seeds or even 13 seeds, whatever, like you have somewhere like in the Mac conference, the one with one a, not the one with the St. Peter's, uh, not that Mac, but, uh, yeah, I guess, um, is there an inorganic way to just throw back to, uh, Georgia state and random throw darts at a wall coaching talk? I don't, I don't think there's an inorganic way to do that, but uh, I guess my last point to that effect is just, I, I don't know. I think coming with, okay, so there's going to be new additions to the conference, you know, that got officially announced, what, yesterday at the time of recording this, that the Conference USA was not going to do the dumb Shocker. Conference USA thing. We're all shocked here. Shock, shocker um, that this is how it ended. <laughs> right, exactly. Um and I think as of right now, I think it is OK if somebody were to say that Georgia State might take a step back next year. I think that is an OK statement to make. My worry and, you know, as kind of leading into what you just said about Arkansas State and what we've said about some other teams is the Sun Belt in terms of basketball has kind of started to stagnate in a way that football has not. And I'm hoping that this leaves room for Georgia State to have a quote unquote down year and still be, you know, we're still the class. You're still going to have to beat us. Here's our fifth straight conference title game in basketball. Run with us if you can. Um, you like that organic bring back to Georgia State. Um, but given the new additions, you know, I know that Marshall, I know that uh, Old Dominion, I know that they Southern Miss, all had down years. This year. <laughs> yes, I know that they are not as bad as their 2021 2022 basketball record for the men's side would indicate. I know. Um, mm, I believe Southern Miss, maybe Southern Miss. So, yes. Southern Miss. <laughs> Southern Miss might be a work in progress. I guess we can call it politely. Yes, I believe. Wasn't it ODU who went to the tournament within the last five years? I want to say it, they won the. I didn't. I think they did. Marshall went in 2018 and knocked off. Wichita yeah. State as a 13 seed. Yeah, I think it's Marshall ODU has I'm been of. several times in the last decade. Like this was the worst year if you're trying to progress skate on the Sun Belt for both ODU and Marshall to have basically their worst years in the last decade. Right, and you know, I don't think their additions move like we're like Little Rock has been either really good or terrible in the Sun Belt the last like six, seven years. Okay. Losing Little Rock and UTA and replacing them with ODU, Marshall, we're really just improving the middle economy of the Sun Belt. And maybe that does push a team, you know, like a Troy, like a South Alabama, you know, they're situation ever gets normal um maybe that does elevate a team to the top they have like six more transfers and so it might work they might be really good like this might be the year where it all clicks for south alabama and, i mean we've been saying that for like three years but you're not wrong we weren't wrong then and we're not wrong now you know but i it's think kind of a ruling is this the year I think it is still possible for Georgia State to be at the top next year, regardless of who the hire is, just because I think, like I said, the Sun Belt on the basketball side has not had the same like growth trajectory as football. And, you know, the conference might be wide open, but there's, in my eyes, only one conference really with that level of 
culture and pedigree. You know, we're the podcast for the that's the Georgia State Panthers. So Georgia State Panthers working with that as a transition, we're going to go back Um, again. Disclaimer that I don't have inside information. I'm going off of what I've seen in different places and just the word of just the word of mouth right now as everyone's kind of searching for the names that make sense for this job. Uh, There are a couple that have been named publicly as people that are either interested or there's interest from Georgia State. And, you know, there's a couple that I've thrown in that are kind of analogs to each of the last two coaches that Georgia State's had. I don't know how likely either are, but as I was looking into this and researching names, there were just a couple interesting. It's You could compare each of them directly to Coach Hunter and Coach Lanier. And so I thought it was interesting. Uh, one of them's got a family connection for me, or the whole thing really does because um, my mom is actually a graduate of SMU. So when I first saw the news, I was like, oh, Coach Lanier is going to a different Weiler school. Uh, but as far as the names that I've heard that I like, number one on the list for me is Jonas Hayes, who's currently the associate head coach, interim head coach currently at Xavier, uh, leading them to the NIT championship, which will happen today as you're listening to this podcast Thursday against Texas A&M in Madison Square Garden. But he's from Georgia. He played at Georgia. He knows the state. He knows Atlanta, the recruiting scene. He's a guy that's been on the cusp of this type of you know head coaching opportunity. Georgia fans, at least some faction of the fan base, wanted him to take their open job earlier in this offseason. But I feel like there's a feeling that there's interested schools, but not as much because he hasn't coached yet as a head coach as his program. And so I think Georgia State offers that first opportunity for him. And you run the risk of him coming for a couple of years, having success, and then one of the big boys calling and saying, all right, we, we want you now. Uh, but like with this job, uh, you know, this job opening with Coach Nier leaving, like, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if you keep having success, even if you're replacing coaches, at the end of the day, that's a good thing because other schools and good programs want the coaches you're hiring. And so that says a lot about where you're at. Um, so I think that it makes sense for that. And haven't even really mentioned the fact that Jarvis Hayes was an assistant on this staff probably would be an assistant if his brother came and coached Georgia State. So you'd have some staff continuity and some familiarity immediately where you're not having an entire staff having to learn this roster, that you'd have someone there who had coached them the last few years. Uh, So that's, for every reason, I think it's the one that makes the most sense and maybe a little nervous seeing that his name is cropping up a bunch because um, I feel like that's never a good sign when you're seeing a name too, too much. Uh, but I think that's the, the name that makes the most sense for me. I, I know that David also, in, in what he has done looking into this, is also like, yeah, Jonas Hayes, let's do it. Uh, the perils of a coaching search. Um, I mean, the boxes all check. Um, I think my problem with this search is this would be to me more than a home run. I mean, you know, there's walk off home runs and there are grand slams and I'm not going to get too into baseball terminology, but like it just this one just makes a ton, a ton of sense. And I, I think there are a couple of other names that I like, but I can't talk myself into liking them as much as I like this one. Um you know, he's got the connection to the state. You know, we talk about recruiting for this school and just football, basketball, everything. And, you know, I love the Georgia ties. I love where the experience is. I mean, Xavier, it, you know, they play in the Big East, but 
that conference might be mid-major only in name because that's not a mid-major conference. It's not a mid-major. Yeah. It's not actually. Like, it, people, like it is literally a power conference. Yeah. People will still look down on it simply because it's not like the SEC or the Big Ten or the ACC or whatever. It's not a mid-major conference. If you have any amount of coaching experience in there, to me, that holds the same weight of where Coach Lanier came from when he came from Tennessee. Um and, you know, there are people who are probably going to be concerned. Oh, you know, Georgia State should find a guy who's been a head coach before. Eh. OK, I mean, if you fill out your staff with the right guys, that simply doesn't matter, especially to me. And I think Georgia State should look for a younger coach who has some, you know, has a longer rope and some you know time to develop and get his bearings as a coach, um, because I think that is important. I think where this t- like Brady, you know, Brady often talks about where this team and this program can go. And I think to get to that level where you're pushing the conference in a different way, you know, a younger coach like this, you know, one of the hot, sexy names, if you will, is definitely a guy that is like someone like this would be who you would want at the helm to make that transition. And, you know, Brady's going to give us another name. I, and I know the name that he's going to do it with, but I don't know. I just, I see Jonas Hayes and I say, I think this is the one. Yeah. The other young name, it fits exactly the same type of bill that intrigued me. And I, I don't know how much the interest is either way on this one, but Stephen Pearl, Bruce Pearl's son at Auburn, he's on staff there. And the reason is the same reason as it is with Jonas Hayes in that Auburn recruits the hell out of Georgia. And he's a big part of that. He's been involved in recruiting multiple four and five star guys from the state of Georgia over to Auburn, Alabama. They've really built a nice program there built on recruiting and even just recruiting the best guys from the state of Georgia. And that's the main goal of what Georgia state wants to do in the basketball scene as well. And so he's another, it'd be his first job. And I feel like you'd probably want to have, you know, that associate head coach come in who's got that head coaching experience. But, you know, the other part of it, and I don't know if this is the same way as with you've got a coach's son on the team, but you feel pretty good about a coach's son being a coach. Like you feel like that there's a lot of life lessons been learned there in the coaching and that guy who's maybe still young in this coaching scene relatively, but who's maybe been hearing a coach go through what he does day in, day out for his entire life gives a little bit more gusto to his resume uh though you're still first time hire so the same amount of risk exists there um the the name for if there were a continuity hire that has been put out there is that cliff warren who is the associate head coach on this year's team and has been here all of coach senior's time uh, there's he was a name that was dropped as possibly being consideration i've also heard it that he would be going to SMU to follow coach in the near if he didn't get this head coaching job. And it seems like for me, that's the more likely outcome that he just goes with coach near to SMU. Um, he was a head coach for Jacksonville university from 2005 to 2014 had a sub five, sub 500 record there, 126 and 150. Um, I think it's possible he could have a better team here with Georgia State, I think that Coach Anir obviously thinks a lot of him. He's always praised everyone on the staff that he thinks that they do good work. And so I wouldn't necessarily think it was a bad hire, but I think that Georgia State can cast the net wider than guys who have been head coaches and haven't gotten above 500. And like I think that they can entice some of the names we've been throwing out and other ones to 
maybe be maybe clear that bar and maybe go for the higher ceiling. Maybe there is higher risk, but maybe higher ceiling as well with some of the younger names. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that that um, that higher would wow fan base particularly, and I don't know how much of a factor. I don't know how much fan base really wants to be wowed. I think most of all, they want to win games, but I don't think that that would be one that you'd be able to parade out as this big name that you've got. But like I say, I think he's gotten some buzz from fellow people in the coaching realms. I think he's well-liked, and so that would go a long, long way. You know, I throw that one out there because it's been named specifically. If you look at places like Hoop Dirt, uh, but I don't, it's not higher on my priorities. Uh, and again, I, it seems entirely likely he's just going to follow Coach Neer and be a part of his setup in SMU. And, you know, best of luck to Coach Neer with all of that as that continues. Um, I did tease my two comparisons. I'll get to those right quick. Um, if you want to talk about Coach Hunter, this isn't a name I've seen thrown out there as a serious candidate, so I don't know if there's any interest, but Robert Jones is the head coach at Norfolk State in the MIAC, and he's a guy whose names come up from national guys' college basketball, like being like, this guy just wins a lot. I think he's a good coach, and someone should hire him up. And it'd be kind of like Coach Hunter in the same sense that he's a New York guy. He's coached in Virginia since 2013 at Norfolk State. And so he doesn't really have ties to Atlanta. He would have to have staff come in who know the area. But Coach Hunter did that. He hired Daryl LaBerry and Claude Pardue, who both had Atlanta connections when he got here. They got good Atlanta recruiting done, and they were winning games. And so it's a hire in that vein in the same sense of just hire a good coach who's won somewhere else and bring him in. It worked for Coach Hunter. I think hiring a guy from APM in the MEAC, it's, it's a risk in a different way just because it is a different level of basketball. Um, but that's a hire you make if you just trust him to make the same type of move up like what Coach, Coach Hunter was able to do here. And then the other one I had was uh, a, another family connection because my brother covers Florida State for the Tallahassee Democrat. Um, and Charlton Young is an assistant there. He's been an assistant there since he was fired as the head coach of Georgia Southern in 2013. And he's been a big part of them really getting to a revitalization at Florida state. He's been an assistant there, helped with the recruiting. He's got Atlanta connections recruiting as well. And it matches up with what coach the was because the one time he's had a head coaching job, it didn't go well, but he's gone and coached under a really good head coach in Leonard Hamilton at FSU. And it'd be the same type of hire that you look at and you know, give him a second chance. He's learned from the job and, the other part of it, and this is really neither here nor there, this shouldn't be a factor in the hiring process at all, but it would be it would be rich if Georgia State hires a guy who was a bad coach for Georgia Southern and he has success at Georgia State. I'm just throwing that part of it out there. I, I think that that would just be one of those things where you just be like, look at this. I would laugh, but you know, that would bring some interesting perspective to the rivalry. Um I I'll, I I don't have like a list per se, but I wanted to ask about Philip Pearson. Um, he hasn't been a head coach in a while. Um, if I mean, he was just an interim at Alabama in 2009. Um, he was on Georgia staff recently, though. He has been with UAB the last few years, and I'm wondering, like, there are some Georgia connections there, and that UAB team is 
I mean, they're pretty good these days. Um, but, you know, you're not talking about a guy with the most head coaching experience that any at all. So I wonder if that is a name because, you know, like I said, we haven't really heard anything. And the only name that I've seen, honestly, was Hayes. Um, but I wonder if a guy like Pearson is where, you know, uh, A.D. Charlie Cobb looks. Yeah, maybe I, I hadn't looked into him really, um, but Lanier was a name that was like on the periphery, like his name was coming up the last time. But like I say, like when it happens, it's going to happen very suddenly. And it's basically going to be one of the national guys just going to say, Georgia State has hired so-and-so. And there's not like really a way to get ahead of it. And that's the way that Charlie Cobb wants to do business. And that's you know his right. So I'm interested to see where it turns out. I uh, I think it's like I say, just as enticing a job, if not more this time. And the names I've seen reflect that. And in, I think the reason, you know, going against what I just laid out with, you know, a guy like Robert Jones from Norfolk State is I don't think you have to stretch too far and take a risk on any guy, whether it's a different, like a low major conference or whether it's even a different division of basketball, which is something I've seen thrown around that I don't necessarily subscribe to because I think you can attract some of the higher profile names that are out there. It's as far as mid-major jobs go, that's open. It's probably the best or the second best. And that's, you know, after Chattanooga just filled today as we record this podcast. So I think you're sitting here in a pretty spot. I think it's going to be interesting to see what way it shakes out. But like I say, I think that there's going to be good names out there to get. There's one that we bumped particularly more than the other ones, but even if it isn't Jonas Hayes, like we've maybe been subscribing to the most, I think it's going to be someone that you can have some excitement about. So let's go ahead and move on to baseball, who went one and three this past week, dropping two of three at ULM at the weekend and taking a heavy 15 to five loss at the hands of Mercer on Tuesday. The team is now 15 and nine on the year. Four and two in Sunbelt Conference play, which places them in a three-way tie for third at this early stage of the conference schedule. The team gets to stay home this weekend, but they've got their hands full with the conference's preseason favorite, South Alabama. The Jags enter Friday's opener 16-7 record after losing 5-4 to Alabama in their last game. Home slate continues for the Panthers with back-to-back midweek games against Tuskegee and Reinhardt on next Tuesday and Wednesday. So, gentlemen, thoughts on baseball? I'll do the heavy lifting here because I know that David, as aforementioned, was in Boston this weekend and couldn't really keep up with the baseball as much as usual. But uh, unfortunately, I kind of laid out this possibility on the pod last week about maybe losing two or three at ULM, who's been pesky this year and was able to get basically a split with a good coastal team on the road was going to be a challenge. And the issue ended up being that something that's been cropping up on the road and cropped up again in the loss to Mercer is just that they're not just, they're just not scoring as much on the road as they are at home. And I, I'm sure that's a problem for most teams, but the gap, and this is before the weekend was finished. So the numbers are going to be a little different here, but they're scoring about three runs a game on the road and nine at home. And like, you can live with a split where you're like, yeah, we're better at home because that's how it works. But Six run difference is not really going to cut it. And it hurt them in both their losses to ULM. They lost 5 3 in extra innings in the opener and 5 2 on Saturday. You know, your pitching staff gave you a chance with only giving up the five runs in both games. But 
you got to do a little bit more and that's what they're able to do on Sunday. And as these things always work out, it was another outing where the pitching staff gave up five runs. And it was just that the offense did more uh, to get you across and get you something from the weekend. You know, one and two outing in Monroe isn't what you were hoping for, but you still got that four and two conference record and you got not swept. You, know, you avoided the sweep on the road. And, uh, you know, the Mercer midweek, you know, it's a one game thing. And also Mercer's really good. Mercer's beaten Georgia Tech and FSU in Macon this year. And those games ended up playing a little closer than the one that Georgia State lost uh, by 10 runs. But that's another one where they've beaten you, I think, six times in a row now. And they're a good team. They're going to stay probably a good team as they've been. And so as Georgia State's continuing to build, that's when I've got circled for like, in a couple of years, are we talking about Georgia State starting to peg some back in that series and not continue on this losing streak against them. Uh, and that'll be a signal of continuing to grow. Yeah. Tough week. Um, I think you outlined it really well. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to score runs and this is not a team that struggles to do that. So it shouldn't be that they're averaging three runs a game on the road, you know, and I think some of that has to do with their competition a little bit. Um, although that Clemson yeah, the Florida series there. still the Florida series skews those numbers for sure. And it's Florida. Right. You know, um, and I mean, like, I remember that Kennesaw State game. They were battling that day and, you know, it just kind of got away from them late. So uh, but they should probably find a way to fix that uh, pretty soon because the schedule does not get easier on the road. Um, they've got three with Coastal coming up in a few weeks or I guess next week ish. Um, and then Georgia tech. And then the following week they go to Georgia Southern. So like it, it just doesn't get easier in terms of road, you know, offense. So they've got to just kind of figure it out. And this weekend isn't home sweet home as much because South Alabama is really good. Uh, top team in the preseason poll, their level on four and two in some belt play right now, same as record as Georgia state, but you know, it's going to be a grind getting through this weekend and they're easily going to be in a situation uh, whether they win the conference tournament or not, where they could be playing their way into an at large playing in a regional this year. And so it's the teams you're trying to get to the level of as you continue to build under coach Dromdahl. And so you cut it loose. You can get on that pace of scoring nine runs like you've been doing at home. They'll bode well for your chances and give yourself a chance and, you know, the other thing, uh, Griffin Cheney had left the final game of the series at Little Rock or at home versus Little Rock with injury. He's been back in the lineup DHing them after missing three games. And so I guess it seems like they're working him back in slowly. Uh, he's been DHing. We'll see if he plays in the next week uh, in the field. But at least having his bat in lineup has been useful. He scored a run in the final game against ULM. And so, guy who's your best hitter got hit with something, you know, it's unfortunate, but it seems like the worst had been avoided. And sooner rather than later, Georgia State's going to have every guy, you know, everyone at full disposal, so to say. All right. So last up this week, we do have football. Uh, this year's spring practice, of course, getting set to wrap up with the 2022 spring game Friday. That's uh, tomorrow as of the release of this podcast, 6 p.m. at Center Park Stadium. Uh, the event's free. Parking's free. Um so yeah, six o'clock, come on out, uh, see a preview of the 2022 Panthers. Uh, Brady and I will be there. So come say hi. 
But uh, gentlemen, what are you guys going to be looking at when we uh, take a look at what happens in the spring game? All right, so here's the thing. Every position is ripe for the taking. So we need to make sure that all of the positions have battles. Darren Granger is not the starting quarterback, and I'm naming it right now. Uh, Michele is going to be the starting quarterback. Book it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. It's a spring game. Just guys are going to go out there, put on those pennies, and just have fun and show off some athleticism. That's it. That's all that they're there for. Yeah, well, it's easy for you to say because, you know, you could be like, I wasn't at the spring game, so my predictions were definitely true and you can't prove otherwise because I, I don't know what the right answer was. Um, but for me, excited to be out there. Uh, chance to, you know, after last year, obviously for good reasons, everything was kind of bubbled up and we were up in the press box. You know, everything is getting to back where field access is going to be there. You know, Jordan was there on the field um, last year. They had availability the ability to do photography work, but getting back to kind of what the spring game was like two years ago, it's going to be fun. It's you know, coach Elliott's talked about how this has been kind of like last year, a chance for starters to get less reps and younger guys to get acclimated to the game. And so for that reason, what I'm looking for is kind of like the guys who flash who are underclassmen or maybe juniors, seniors who haven't played as much because they've had starters in front of them. So it's not necessarily the be all end all because, you know, there's been guys in spring games before that, you know, they did a lot and then came the season, other guys, other positions were the ones getting the big reps, but it's also been that like, you know, Terrence Dixon had some big plays in the spring game two years ago and ended up getting put on scholarship. He's still uh, offered a lot as Georgia state, like slot receiver type. And so interested to see uh, who those guys are. Cause we don't know as of yet, but after the game, we're going to, have a couple of times where it's like, oh, hey, remember when that guy got that, you know, big catch downfield or got after the quarterback and got a spring pack practice sack because they're not actually going to do full contact with the quarterbacks or anything. Um, and obviously the quarterbacks, like you, you joked, but like it is going to be interesting to see Darren where he's at now, Keelan Brown, where he enters the program at McKeely after another spring of practices. And uh, yeah, just who plays left guard and you know the rotation there just because that's the one spot on what we know is going to be a solid unit that you're having to replace Shamarius Gilmore and so the question exists and it's going to be interesting to see who the guy is or the guys that are rotating in that spot as we sit now a few months removed or uh, a few months before they're going to be exiting the tunnel in Columbia South Carolina playing the Gamecocks of South Carolina. Yeah, no, I have absolutely no tips about the quarterback thing. That was a joke, but I mean, like last year, I welcome any and all competition. And, you know, we have identified some guys who have taken, uh, let's call it steps forward in the spring game. Like you mentioned, Terrence Dixon. So, you know, I feel like we have a pretty good track record for what we think is going to happen. So I welcome the next crop of say. that caliber of player. We didn't really get to see Jamil Muhammad do. I don't remember any specific play he had in the spring game last year, but we saw him for the first time as a after having a winter conditioning as a linebacker. And it was like, oh, this guy looks like a linebacker. And that was really the case as we got into the fall. And then you saw what happened. And so that one kind of, you know, we didn't really see guy who ended up leading the team in sacks, but certainly it only took a spring for him to really, okay, this guy's maybe going to be 
working his way into that rotation. And he did a little bit more than that by the time the season was over. He was you know, taking over the game at times as the, the rush end. Yeah. And so I'm excited. I can't watch it, but I like spring games. I like how random they seem and just, you know, it's just a chance for guys to shine in situations where they otherwise wouldn't. And yeah, I think we're just all going to be generally cautious with proclamations on quarterbacks until we go through a full season where it's settled and like definitely not going to anoint Darren as in the same way that we did with quad that ended up looking less great in retrospect just because the way things played out. But that's not to say, you know, Darren, the way he was playing was giving Georgia State a chance to win every game they were in. And so no reason to think if he's the starter that that wouldn't be the case again. But not going to go out and, you know, put out old takes that are going to get exposed by being too high on a quarterback because, you know, I don't, I feel like he's got the lead as far as quarterback position goes right now, but we don't know by how much. And certainly competition in the spring and in the fall is only going to be a good thing for whoever ends up being the guy under center. And of course, before we get you out of here this week, we do have sports bits and there's a lot. So let's go ahead and buckle up. Track and field spending Friday and Saturday in Birmingham, Alabama for the UAB spring invite, while Beach Volleyball travels to Jacksonville, Florida for the North Florida invite during the same time frame, where they'll face FAU, North Florida, Pepperdine, and Florida State. Baseball hosts South Alabama at 6 p.m. Friday, 4 p.m. Saturday, and 1 p.m. Sunday. The last two of that three set of games will be on ESPN+. The Bus Lot Boys will then host Tuskegee and Reinhardt on Tuesday and Wednesday at 5 p.m. both days. Softball travels to Troy for a three-game away trip, taking on the Trojans at 7 p.m. Friday, 3 p.m. Saturday, and 2 p.m. Sunday. All three of those games will be on ESPN+. They'll then make the trek west on I-20 to take on Auburn Wednesday at 7 p.m. Men's tennis travels to Coastal Carolina Saturday at 10 a.m. and then to Presbyterian Sunday at 1 p.m. before making the trip down I-16 on Wednesday to take on Georgia Southern at 2 p.m. Women's tennis travels to Texas State Saturday at 10 a.m. and UT Arlington Sunday also at 10 a.m. Men's golf will spend Saturday and Sunday at the August Haskins Award Invitational while women's golf heads to Eastern Kentucky's Colonel Classic on Monday and Tuesday. Women's soccer hosts Georgia Gwinnett Saturday at 1 p.m. And men's soccer hosts Lipscomb Saturday at 6 p.m. So lots going on in Panther Athletics this week, not to mention the spring game for football Friday at 6 p.m. Come out, support the Panthers to any of these events, and hopefully we'll see you at the spring game. And we'll catch you in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.